Good afternoon, church. Good afternoon. My name is. Good afternoon. My name is Kenny Zuchuku, and this is Naomi Rowden. Uh, we help lead the student ministry here in Birmingham, and we are really grateful to be able to share our thoughts and communion this morning. Naomi's going to start. Hello. Um, I would love to share a scripture with you. It's in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it. In remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. One of the things I get from this scripture is that we're supposed to remember. Um, I sometimes struggle to remember things, often struggle to remember things actually. Um, But when I have amazing experiences, I really like to remember them. So, for example, I've been to an incredible beach. And I think, I really want to remember this experience. So I decide, I'll take a seashell or a little pebble or a few and throw them in a bag and I'll remember. Um, And then when I open the bag up, I see the shell or the stone and I think, that was a really special time. Or I go on a journey in the UK and I take the train and the place I get to, I have an incredible time there. And when I get home, I, I think, I really want to remember that time. So I keep the ticket. And I'm, I have a habit of keeping quite a lot of tickets and never going back to them, which is not a great thing. But I try to remember it by keeping hold of something. Or last year, I got the amazing privilege of going to Israel. Um, and, and on a Sunday, like we're doing here, we had a communion service, but we had it in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was powerful, and I'll tell you about it another time. Um, but what I did was I thought, I really want to remember this time. So I took a few stones from the ground and put them in my bag um, and then I brought them back to Birmingham and some of the student girls have seen some of those those stones and it's special because it helps me to remember an incredibly special thing um, but here Jesus is talking about remembering something so much more precious um, we get the opportunity to take a little piece of bread and a little bit of, of the fruit of the vine And it symbolizes something more special than a beach or a nice time in the UK or even the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, It actually symbolizes a man giving up his life for me and for you and for us all. Um, Someone who could have so easily chosen to escape a really, really, really painful experience but someone who decided to go through it because he wanted a relationship with us and that's really something worth remembering Amen a few days ago was my birthday and um, it's funny because 
being in the UK, there's a time difference between LA, which is where I'm from, and the UK. Eight hours, we're eight hours ahead here in the UK. So I get texts on March 4th, which is the day after my birthday, people saying, happy birthday. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. There's a time difference. I can see why you might text me a little bit late. But I get texts today, people, people saying, happy birthday. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. That, is that happy belated birthday? It wasn't, <laughs> yeah, some people in um, it wasn't. It wasn't happy belated birthday. It wasn't, you know, sorry I forgot. It was just happy birthday. And then I realized something must be going on. So I went on Facebook, and I went on Facebook to see, like, you know, I usually get like 500 happy birthday messages because it pops up on your screen and you just type the happy birthday. You don't have to really remember that. Um, and I realized that I had changed my birthday settings so, so that I can only, I was the only one that could see it. <laughs> so no one really knew when my birthday was. And it's amazing because the, the people that did remember and that texted me on my actual birthday, I realized that they remembered. They remembered. They didn't just wait for Facebook to tell them. They actually, they actually knew when my birthday was. And that was so much more meaningful than if I would have gotten 500 or 600 Facebook messages from people that it would just been popped up for. Um, and I just started thinking about how even when there's something important, even my, just so you guys know, my best friend forgot uh, back in LA. Uh, but it just, it just shows me that even things that are important to us, we forget. And the reason why I think Jesus uh, and Paul talk about remembering is because they know as humans we're forgetful. And we need that reminder to remember. And if we read verse 27, it says, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from this cup. And it's, it's amazing because every time we remember, it's not just to do it out of guilt or fear or shame. It's because there's a deeper heart issue that's associated with remembering. When you remember the cross, it should change the way you look at the world. It should change what you do on an everyday basis. It should change how you treat people. And that's why we remember. And that's why it's so important not to just set reminders, but to really go down and dig deep and understand why and where our hearts are at when we look at the cross and when we take communion. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all you've done for us and how you've sacrificed your son on the cross just to give us an opportunity to follow you. As we take the bread, which symbolizes your body, I pray for us to remember just how significant it was for you sacrificing your body on the cross for us to have the chance to be here, to be in this kind of community, uh, to be able to be with you one day in heaven. Lord, I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful. And I pray that as we examine ourselves and we remember this, we can really get closer to you. Thank you. I love you. And I pray these things in your son's name.
Dear God, thank you for um, the fruit of the vine, which represents your blood. Thank you that we have something that we can remember you by. Thank you that that blood was so powerful that you were willing to shed it all so that we could have a relationship with you. Thank you for the pain that you went through um, and that you would go through again just so that we can be connected to you forever. I'm so grateful for your sacrifice. I really do pray that it changes our lives, God, on a daily basis um, and that we cling to you throughout everything. Thank you for that blood. In Jesus' name, amen. Serving somewhere else. Amen. There you go. And 
Waddle's been serving all service here anyway. But yeah, I know. Uh, I know. Usually, you know, lots of thank yous go out. Besides, we don't thank the people that actually did the thank yous. And so, you know, my wife wanted to reiterate that. Sophie and Waddle did a great job, and uh, it was a great time. And uh, I'm just going to try to follow Maggie. I, I, you know, she she did a great job from what I heard. So I, I know I got my work cut out for me uh, with all the sisters here today for sure. Uh, and if you are visiting with us uh, today, we want to welcome you to our church family. We hope you feel at home, and we hope you keep coming back. Um, uh, last uh, Sunday, uh, Hugh did a great job, uh, awesome job, uh, calling us uh, in, in the beginning of Luke chapter 5 as Jesus calls uh, for perhaps the third time uh, these fishermen on the Sea of Galilee to follow him. And they get his grace and they make this radical shift uh, in their lives and start to follow him. And so the text picks up there uh, in Luke chapter 5 and verse 12. It says, while Jesus was in one of the towns, and we assume along the Sea of Galilee here, a man came along, it says, who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Verse 13, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him in verse 14, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But in verse 16, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. It's an interesting account. You know, Jesus, uh, you know, he, he didn't come to this earth uh, to just teach us a few things, he came to he came to suffer and dwell among us. Uh, and as the title alludes, he, he got his hands dirty. And this is one of those accounts that reminds us of how far God is willing to go uh, to love us and to help us. He encounters here a man uh, who it says was covered in verse twelve with leprosy. Uh, leprosy in biblical times was a terrible thing, and it was feared by all. Uh, leprosy uh, in Jesus' time probably covered a multitude of skin diseases. Uh, most likely, uh, the worst form of it would be what we call today Hansen's disease. Uh, but in, in Jesus' time, uh, if a person caught uh, some of these skin diseases, it was considered incurable. And those diagnosed with leprosy were actually banned uh, from society. And the Old Testament actually uh, prescribes uh, such a thing in Luke uh, 13. Verses 45 to 46, uh, here uh, under the Old Testament law, it says anyone with such a defiling disease, referring to these skin diseases, must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, it says they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. So Jesus encounters a man who has gone through this kind of isolation socially and spiritually, uh, here as he walks along. And Jesus, it says, instantly cures him of his leprosy. And he tells him uh, to offer the sacrifices to the priest that Moses prescribed. Uh, referring to what would take place according to Luke, Le Leviticus chapter 14. Uh, if someone was cleansed of such a disease. And so, so the, the loathing directed at lepers uh, was not merely a fear of catching the disease. It was also uh, that the person was considered spiritually unclean uh, by that society. And the Jews believed in a sense in Jesus' day that leprosy was a sign of God's disfavor. 
many believe that, that God afflicted such diseases upon people because of their own sin. Uh, the, the Old Testament never said that, but that's what uh, many people believed. Uh, many scholars believe Luke 13, I'm sorry, Leviticus 13, uh, that we just read, and that is on the screen here, was more about quarantining the disease uh, than shaming the person. Uh, and the Jews even went so far as to call leprosy the finger of God. Um, and over, over, uh, over time, uh, the Jews did evolve in their mercy toward uh, lepers. Uh, lepers uh, later on, according to rabbinical traditions, were allowed into the synagogue, for example, to worship with God's people. But they had to be the first to enter. Uh, and then they had to sit at least four cubits, which is six feet today, away from everyone else in a special area. And then they had to be the last to leave. Um, and so eventually some mercy was shown uh, toward the lepers, but they were socially and spiritually, they were absolutely outcasts. Uh, it might be someone today with, with, with AIDS or someone today with Ebola. It might be you know, considered that kind of social uh, and spiritual stigma. Uh, we, we can't really understand the kind of mental and physical suffering uh, such a man as this that encountered Jesus would have been through. Uh, you know, in biblical history, only two people actually, according to the, the Bible, were actually before this time healed or cleansed, as it says, of their leprosy. Uh, Miriam was one of those. Uh, in Numbers 12, 9 through 15, she opposes Moses. And so for about a day, God, uh, God afflicts her with leprosy. Eventually she repents and she is cured. Uh, and then the other one, of course, is Naaman. Uh, he's, he's a Syrian commander, a Gentile, an enemy of the Jews. Uh, and he's inflicted with leprosy, and, uh, and a Jewish servant girl tells him to go to the prophet Elijah. And he goes to the prophet Elijah, uh, and of course he's told to wash seven times in the Jordan River, and then he's healed, cleansed of his leprosy. And so it's been 700 years since that cleansing of Naaman, and then Jesus arrives on the scene here. And this leper, of course, is cleansed. And so it's quite interesting because the healing of a leper uh, had not been done, as I said, for 700 years, but it was also thought to be an earmark of the Messianic age. Uh, later on, we'll read this in Luke 7, uh, 20 to 22. Uh, John sent, sends his disciples to talk to Jesus to see if he's the Messiah or not to make sure. And Jesus says to go back and tell John in Luke 7, 20 to 22, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. You know, Jesus, of course, you know, he not only uh, cured the leper, he also eventually will raise people from the dead. One source I read uh, said that to the rabbi, the cure of a leper was as difficult as raising a person from the dead. And yet we're going to encounter Jesus doing both of these things in the Gospels. And so this is an amazing moment, really, if you think about it spiritually, you think about it physically, for this man to encounter Jesus and receive this cleansing of his leprosy. You know, this passage is just full, it's just full of, uh, of one miracle after another. The man approaches Jesus. Uh, it says he's covered with leprosy in verse 12, so it's quite obvious that he had the disease. And he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He obviously did not yell out, unclean, unclean, because there's no record of that. He obviously broke the four-cubit barrier that should have been, as a Jew, given to another Jew. If you broke that, uh, that law of coming within six feet of someone, if you had leprosy, you would actually be flogged 39 times. And so, so he breaks all these social etiquettes and spiritual laws... 
and falls face to the ground in front of Jesus. And we believe he broke that, that space barrier for sure because it says in verse 13, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. When was the last time that man was touched by another human being? We don't even know. Perhaps his whole life he had not been touched like that. Yet Jesus reaches out and touches him and says, I am willing. Be clean. And it's not like all of a sudden over time, over the next few years, the leprosy disappeared. It says immediately in the text, immediately the leprosy left him. And Jesus, uh, interestingly, in verse 14 says, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifice that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. You know, Jesus was still trying to fulfill the law in every way that he could, even as he started to change it. Uh, but it's interesting, he tells him not to tell anyone because Jesus knows his time has not yet come. He's not quite finished what he started. And as if people start hearing about these miracles, they're going to force him uh, in a direction he does not want to go. And he often does this right with miracles uh, in the Gospels, uh, especially early on in his ministry. According to Mark 145, yet the man doesn't listen to Jesus. He actually goes according to Mark's same account. And he tells everyone that he's been cured of his leprosy. And you can imagine he was probably pretty excited. It must have been hard uh, to contain his excitement. It's somewhat understandable. In verse 16 it says, so Jesus has to withdraw to lonely places. But that's okay. Jesus, if he's not helping people, he's seeking God. Right? So in verse 16, he's just spending time with the Lord in prayer. And we'll learn more about prayer as we dive further into the Gospel of Luke. And so we're starting to see more and more with Jesus as we get just a little bit further into Luke that there is something different going on, right? You know, this man, uh, you know, with this leper, a priest would have already had to declare this leper unclean. That's exactly what Leviticus 13 uh, says that the priests were to do. They were to examine uh, these people with these skin diseases. So this man would have been declared unclean. And if he had somehow been naturally cured, the priest would have had to examine him again, according to Leviticus 14. And the man would have had to make sacrifices, and then the priest would have declared him publicly clean for the first time. So it would have been this long, drawn-out process. But Jesus immediately touches the man, says, I am willing, and immediately the man is cured. And he's instantly cleansed of all that you know, hindered him uh, before. We'll go on and we'll read this next Sunday. Jesus will go on to see a man lowered by his friends through a hole in the roof. Uh, and he's a paralyzed man. And Jesus says to the man, immediately, your sins are forgiven. What? You know, the priests had offered, you know, thousands of animal sacrifices day after day, year after year, century after century to, to hopefully have Israel's sins forgiven. But this man shows up, Jesus, and instantly he says, your sins are forgiven. And of course, they, they, they dare him to prove that, and he does by allowing the lame man then to walk after he forgives him of his sins. You know, as a preacher... Often I struggle to, to, to find something profound to say. I think about it, I, I wrestle with it, I read quotes. And the longer I do this, the more I realize, well, I'm not very profound, so that's not really going to happen. But more importantly, that's okay. Jesus is profound. All I need to do is point you to Him today, and you're going to hear and you're going to see something quite profound. And so what can we learn here from this profound Jesus, this beautiful Savior that we just sung about? Let's bottle up some of this and take it with us today from this incredible, incredible miracle. Well, I think two quick things here as we close in our time. The first here with Jesus is that God can be clearly seen when we look at him. With Jesus, God is clearly seen. That's exactly what the New Testament says Jesus came to do, right? 
came to reveal God. Colossians 1.15, one of my favorite passages about that. The Son, referring to Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Now, what can we see clearly about God in this passage? Well, I think two attributes of God that uh, we need to always be reminded of. Uh, the first here is that God is willing. We see here that God is willing. You know, the man approaches Jesus in a spiritually and socially unorthodox way. You know, that's like us approaching God in prayer, approaching God in his word, uh, even approaching God together as a church, even what we're doing right now. And the man says to him, if you're willing, if you're willing, you can make me clean. All right. He's faithful. He believes Jesus can do it, but he's also surrendered. You know, he doesn't he doesn't assume that God is going to do that for him. And of course, Jesus answer immediately is, I am willing. And isn't that really a great, you know, conveyance of the heart of God? With our needs and our wants and our desires, you know, God, He is willing. Now, amen, if it's not His will, it will not be, but He is willing. That is the heart of God. You know, when I first arrived here six months ago with my family from Australia, uh, we had some uh, two, old, two old Scottish men help move us in. A lot of you did too, thank you. But some of you met my, our movers that helped us with our international move, and they were these two old Scottish guys. I don't know how old they were, but they were pretty old. And... Uh, <laughs> Or they just lived a really rough life and were only 40. But uh, they were pretty old guys. And they were little, little, little scrawny old guys. You know, and I'm looking at these guys thinking, i got to help move the stuff in too. Because I just felt bad for them, you know. And, and they start moving stuff in. And, and, and they're asking where we're putting this and where we're putting that. And, and this, this, I remember this one, you know, really heady piece. And, and uh, we had this little loft bedroom on the, on the third floor, you know, and uh, second floor. And uh, they're like, where's this go? And, uh, you know, I said, oh, up, up. If you if you can do it, you know it, it goes up on the on, on the second floor loft, you know loft attic room, and and the, the old guy says, "If you can," and he, and he smacks his arm like this, and looks at me like, "No problem," you know. And then, I'm not doing a good Scottish accent. Tam is mad at me right now. So, oh, it's terrible. I'll work on it. Um, but I just lo- I just love that. You know, he's like, "What are you talking about?" And they got him up there, sure enough. And it makes me wonder sometimes, you know, if that's how God feels with us. We say, oh God, if, if, you, if you can, you know, if you're willing. And I think God is saying, of course I'm willing. That's not the issue. Now, amen, sometimes we don't get what we want. We don't get what we ask for because it's not really what we need. And so God sometimes unfortunately has to say no. But it does make you wonder, doesn't it? Is our lack of progress spiritually... Sometimes simply due to believing the lie that God is not willing, that he does not care, or he is not concerned. And so we don't even ask sometimes over, over, over time. You know, C.S. Lewis talks about this, this, this desire misplaced or even the lack of desire in his book, The Weight of Glory. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures. Fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. But this leper, he got it. He, he got who he was approaching and that this man was indeed willing to meet all his needs and more. You know, Jesus here, he touches the untouchable. We'll read on in Luke, Jesus will, will love the unlovable. He will reach the unreachable because in Jesus, 
we see and are reminded that God is willing. You know, God is willing to clean us up, no matter how defiled we may be or how we may feel. And the other thing here we see is that, that God is willing, but He is also able. God is also able. As I said there in verse 13, Jesus just says, be clean. And immediately, instantly, the man is cleansed. And it is interesting the man asked for cleansing as opposed to healing. He understood that, that his soul was just as important as his body, if not more, uh, in that request. You know, I read this um, this week. The Bible treats leprosy as an emblem of sin. In its aspect of pollution or defilement. Thus, in its removal, it is never said to be cured or healed, but always cleansed. So Jesus here is able to fully restore this man in every way. Physically, spiritually, mentally. The man is restored in an instant. Now Jesus is able to fix anything in our lives. It's a reminder of that, is it not? Miracles are a reminder that, that God is not bound by the things that we are bound by. He's not limited in his resources or his strength or his heart to take care of that which needs to be taken care of. And amen, as I said, I'm not saying he always does. I'm not saying it is, it, it is fixed how we want it to be. He, he may cleanse our soul, but our body may stay broken. But at the end of the day, what do we need in the end? We ultimately just need our soul to be cleansed. Our bodies, they're wasting away. I turned 40 this year. I'm learning that firsthand. There's actually something built into your body biologically at, at age 25 called senescence. And it's actually pre-programmed death. So if you're 25 or older now, I just it's all downhill from here. You're going down. You're going down. Sorry, Kenny. You just turned 25. That's my, that's my belated birthday gift to you. I was also trying to Facebook you today, but then when you were sharing to me, I stopped right in the middle of it. I'm joking. I wasn't on Facebook during the But do, do we get this point? Not necessarily that you know Jesus is a genie in a bottle, but, but, but that he is able. He is able. He's not just willing. He is able to do whatever needs to be done to take care of his people and to take care of humanity. Do we get this and believe it? I love the account of uh, Jesus in Matthew 9, 27 to 30. These two blind men are following him. Have mercy on us, son of David, they cry out. And then Jesus goes indoors. I think it was a test. And they, they somehow find him, these two blind men, once he goes inside. And Jesus asks them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith... Let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. The Gospels remind us, understanding that God is able can be a real life changer. But we've got to have faith in that God. We've got to have faith to come to that God. And we've got to have faith to trust that God where we don't necessarily see what we want to see in the end. You know, this man's life was forever changed in one moment because he understood and he sought this God who is willing and is able. With Jesus, we have God clearly seen. And as we go through Luke, we're going to see it more and more and more. How willing and able God truly is. As ultimately we know that will be expressed fully and completely through his death for us on the cross. So God clearly seen. And second, finally here, let's all 
Let's all be clean. Let's all be clean. You know, there are many parallels uh, between the consequences of leprosy back then and our sin today. You know, we live in a day and age where, you know, technologically and medically we've eliminated such things as leprosy for the most part. People do have it, but there's a lot of ways we can treat it now. But in Jesus' day, obviously, it wasn't yet the case. But I think there's a great spiritual analogy here for us today when it comes to our sin. Because things have changed over thousands of years as far as technology and medicine, but but sin has not. And all the problems that it brings to our lives. Uh, you know, there's kind of, you know, five, uh, you know, analogies, if you will, but, you know, where, where sin here is like, like this leprosy that we just described. The first is that sin, sin destroys our soul and separates us from God. Just as the leper was ceremonially defiled and cut off from public worship, so, so, so sinners are separated from a holy God. And if sin is left untreated, it destroys us, and it ultimately separates us from a holy God. The second is that, like leprosy, sin causes distance and breakdown of relationships. You know, the leper, you know, maybe he had family. Maybe he had friends that he was never able to hug again, to sit down and have a meal with. Could you imagine if he was a father? He could never hold his child again. It's terrible. It's terrible. And sin, that's exactly what it does to our, our relationships. Think of all your problems and all your relationships in the history of your life. It always comes back to sin, doesn't it? Always. Always. You know, sin is all the root, the root of all relational problems. And this leprosy can remind us of that. The third thing here is sin is like leprosy in that it results in loneliness. And the leper had to, he had to live this, this separate and lonely life. And we just, you know, we can't even imagine what that must have been like to be separated from his loved ones. But you can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, they're... They're, they're, they're naked and without shame. They're, they're, they're free to be close to each other and close to God. And then they sin. And what do they do? They cover themselves up with fig leaves. And then after that, what do they do? They hide from God. They hide from God. Sin isolates us from each other and from God. And it results in more and more loneliness. The fourth analogy here is it's like leprosy. Sin grows progressively worse. Ending in spiritual death. Get around someone who has been a, an addict of drugs or alcohol for a long time. And they're not quite human anymore. Something's just not quite right. It, it's a, sad, it's a sad, sad result of sin and how it just damages and destroys everything that is good about our humanity. Romans 6.23, Ephesians 2.1, James 1.15 all equate sin to death. And the fifth and final analogy here is that like leprosy, sin has no human cure. You know, the leper, I'm sure, had, had to figure, you know, all the willpower in the world wouldn't cure him. No amount of good intentions or positive thinking would get the job done. And likewise, there is no human cure for sin. Now, you can make resolutions and make promises to change. You can go to the, the latest psychotherapists and counselors and you can read, read the latest books. But at the end of the day, no matter how hard we try, we're still plagued by our sin. And we're still haunted by the fact that we might resolve to never do that again. But somehow we find ourselves once again doing it. We're all plagued by sin. And without a Savior, we have no cure. So this man reminds us that we are all spiritual lepers in need of spiritual cleansing. So, so how, how do we get cleansed, right? We all we, That's the bad news, but there is good news, right? In Jesus, amen? 
How do we get cleansed? Well, today, generally, we deal with our defilement, our uncleanliness, our sin in one of three ways. The secular way of dealing with sin today is, well, first of all, declare dirt officially clean. There's no such thing as right and wrong, you know? It's, you think it's dirty? Well, I think it's clean. Well, he, he thinks this is clean. Well, I think that's dirty. You know, it doesn't even really matter. Or just sweep it under the rug. As long as it looks good, it's not really that bad. Or even worse, you know, attempt to sanitize it all through government or through social justice. Secularism. And we know after thousands of years of history, none of those things work. Secondly, a lot of religion tries to cleanse the sin and the uncleanliness among us. And most religions teach you to cleanse yourself through works or cover over that filth and just make it look good. And a lot of religions teach just that. But this is where Christianity is quite different. And the third and uh, final solution that I think biblically is the only solution to our uncleanliness is to come to Jesus. Through accepting the gospel of Jesus, his blood shed for us on the cross, we can and will be cleansed. And there's nothing we can do. Nothing we can do to cleanse ourselves. Jesus does that for us when we become a Christian. So this leper in the end was cleansed because he came to Jesus. And it's no different for us today, spiritually speaking. Now, we've got to figure out how to let the blood of Christ cleanse our consciences, as it says in Hebrews 9.14, from acts that lead to death, so that we can serve the living God. And all of us today in this room, we're either clean or we're not through Jesus. We all, we, we all fall in one of two categories. And so we see in this leper here, as we close out, some great practical ideas of how to really be cleansed by God. And also a great reminder, if we are a Christian today, how to stay clean. Amen? So just a few quick thoughts here. Uh, and really it just comes down to one big idea. How do you get cleansed today? Be humble. Just be humble. Ultimately here, humble toward God. You know, this man's humility toward Jesus made all the difference in the end. You know, we see his humility and his desperation here in the text. You know, he appears proud. It doesn't record that he yelled, unclean, unclean. As he approached Jesus, we, he probably broke the six-foot barrier because Jesus was within reach and touched, touched the man. But really, I don't think the man was proud. I think he was desperate. He was willing to do whatever it took to get in front of Jesus. Today, we might call this type of desperation faith. A belief. A belief that, that there's something wrong with me and only Jesus can fix it. It's faith. It's faith. In other words, if if you want God to save you, he can and he will. And he sent Jesus to do just that. But you've got to believe. You've got to believe. You've got to have faith. A desperate enough faith to come to him. And to acknowledge that you you have some stuff in your life that needs to be cleaned up. And so the leper here, I think, is a great picture of what it looks like to have faith today in Jesus. It makes you desperate. You don't walk in here, yeah, I'm doing okay. I mean, yeah, maybe one day I might, I might seek Jesus. I might come to Him. I might get clean up. I'm, I'm a little dirty. No. You come before Jesus and you realize spiritually you're a leper. Like Simon Peter last week in Luke 5. Away from me, Lord. You know, Away from me. I'm a sinful man. You know, When you really see Jesus for who He is, cleansing lepers in an instant, forgiving people with just with His own words of their sins, you realize you are unholy. And if you realize you are unholy, you want Him to cleanse you. You want Him to fix you. And that's a modern day analogy of what it means to have faith in Jesus. If you're not a Christian yet, it's as simple as that. Have real, desperate faith in Him. And He will cleanse you. 
You know, we also see his humility in his posture. He's face down. Face down, the text says, in front of Jesus. It's easier to see God in a low position, for he is always above, right? He is always above. And that's literally true and also spiritually true. But in our pride, we foolishly look down, dare I say, even at God. I don't know. Is it worth it? Should I follow? Do I really need to get cleansed? For 19 years, that's how I looked at God. You know, I considered it, you know, 50-50. I don't know. Is it really going to be a win-win? You know, it was my pride, though. My pride. And I had to get face down before God and before the cross. Before I really came to Jesus and got cleansed. And we also see his humility in his words. If you are willing. I love that. Faithful but surrendered. Acknowledging God's sovereignty to do as he wished in the end. You know, our pride is what stops us more than anything from becoming a Christian. And for me, I lived 19 years full of this kind of pride. You know, I I like to call myself a Christian, but in all honesty, I wasn't following Jesus. I was telling Jesus to follow me. But I called myself a Christian. I went to church, you know. And so I can relate a lot to, to, to this state of mind. That, that, you know, I'm not really that bad. You know, I'm, I'm actually, I'm a pretty good person. And how did I come to that decision? Well, I would look at everybody else around me. And I'd say, oh, you know, actually compared to them, I'm pretty good. But again, I hadn't, I hadn't really encountered Jesus. Who is, who is and always will be a true definition of good. I would like to call Jesus my Lord in theory, but in actuality, I was Lord. And again, all that came back to my pride. My pride. If you're not a Christian today, if you think you are a Christian and this is challenging you, my encouragement to you is just simply to be humble. Be humble like this man. Admit your spiritual leprosy before him and come to him. And come to him. And and, and the Bible is very clear what it means to come to him and allow him to cleanse you. You believe in him, you repent in him, and you get baptized in him. It's as simple as that. And just like this man, in an instant, you can be cleansed. Have you done that? And if you haven't done that, what are you waiting for? I believe you're here today because Jesus is calling you right now. Right now to make these kinds of decisions and get cleansed and right with him. He died so that you could be cleansed. So choose to allow him to spiritually scrub you today. And if you are a Christian... Stay humble. It just reminds me when I read this, I gotta stay humble. Never forget, never forget. Spiritually, we were lepers. Spiritually, we were just like this man. Unclean, unclean. If I'd have walked into a room 23 years ago, that's what they should have said when I walked into that room, because that's who I was. You know, our sin will take us further than we want to go, and it will cost us more than we want to pay. We can never get away from the Christ who cleanses and saves us. And we've got to keep growing in Him and for Him as a disciple of His. But in our pride again, in our pride, we forget. In our pride, we stop growing. And then we start to lose this Jesus in our lives. In 2 Peter, which is not here, uh, 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, Peter is, is calling the church to keep growing. He says, add, add to your faith goodness and to your goodness kindness, right? And, and then he says in verse uh, verse 8, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, 
They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. The most stagnant and stuck times in my life, spiritually in the last few years, and I've had them, I'll be the first to admit it, is because I just was ungrateful. When push comes to shove, I could have said, yeah, I didn't like this, and yeah, this is really hard, but bottom line is, I just had forgotten. Of my, I had forgotten my spiritual leprosy. I had forgotten the incredible gift that the blood of Jesus had given me and me being spiritually cleansed. I had forgotten the loneliness I would forgotten the defilement. I would forgotten the emptiness of that defilement. And I just had to get grateful again for my cleansing. Church, have we, for, have we forgotten? Have we gotten proud and ungrateful? That's why you're not growing, spiritually speaking, according to 2 Peter 1, verses 8 through 9. You know, in conclusion, it's an interesting story. This guy named Boyce Mouton wrote... He says, in 1818, this is all a true story, Ignaz Philip Semmelweis was born into a world of dying women and hungry. In his time, he writes, the finest hospitals lost one out of every six young mothers to the scourge of what was called then childbed fever. A doctor's daily routine then began in a dissecting room each morning where he performed autopsies. From there, he made his way to the hospital to examine expectant mothers without ever pausing to wash their hands. Dr. Semmelweis was the first man in history to associate such examinations with the resultant infection and death. His own practice was to wash with a chlorine solution, and after 11 years in the delivery of 8,537 babies, He lost only 184 mothers, about 1 in 50. But in his time, it was 1 in 6 after childbirth had died. It goes on to say he spent the vigor of his life lecturing and debating with his colleagues. Once he argued, childbed fever is caused by decomposed material conveyed to a wound. I have shown how it can be prevented. I have proved all that I have said. But while we talk, 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 gentlemen, women are dying. I am not asking anything world-shaking. I am asking you only to wash. For God's sake, wash your hands, unquote. The article goes on to say, but virtually no one believed him. Doctors and midwives had been delivering babies for thousands of years without washing, and no outspoken Hungarian was going to change them now. It concludes the story, Semmelweis died insane, at the age of 47, his wash basins discarded, his colleagues laughing in his face, and the death rattle of a thousand women ringing in his ears. Wash me was the anguished prayer of King David in Psalm 51. Wash was the message of John the Baptist, right, as he baptized those who were preparing for the Christ. We just read that in Luke chapter 3. Our Lord and Savior said, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Tau draped to Peter. Without our being washed clean, we all die from the contamination of sin. So he concludes in his article, for God's sake, wash.
Let's all get washed today by clearly seeing God in Jesus' life and ministry. He got his hands dirty so that we might all be made clean. And the Birmingham Church of Christ said, Amen. Amen.